Amen. He's been so, so good to us. John 6, if you want to open your Bibles there, that's where we will be. It is a joy to be here with you this morning. And if you have been a visitor with us, we're so grateful. If you've been here in the month of July, you may have gotten a little bit of the wrong impression. We do not, before coming out here, cast lots backstage to see who it is that preaches. We have a consistent pastor who will preach starting next week. And so if you like the variety of July, we're so glad that you have been here with us. Today we get to celebrate Holy Communion, a holy remembrance of the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I will start by sharing with us about the bread, and then Pastor Joel will share about the cup. So if you're the type that wants to do things in order and not miss anything, you don't need to be glancing at your neighbor to get a cue as to when you are to partake. Joel will walk you through that. So rest at ease. He will guide you through step by step. So John 6, starting in verse 25, we're going to read. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Amen. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We're going to bounce down to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus gives us a warning here not to work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. He had filled their stomachs. I think Jesus could resonate with what a lot of people engaging in summer parenting are feeling right now. 
So my kids come to me and they say, Dad, we're bored. What can we do? And then immediately it's like, what do we have to eat? Can I get a snack? What's lunch? What's dinner? Automatically their heart steers towards a way to fill their stomach. And then parents, after we deal with the anxiety of parenting, we go grab a snack. So this physical feeding, it's a temporary solution. It's a band-aid. There's a deeper craving within us. If perishable food were a cure, then our summers and our homes might be more peaceable. Ecclesiastes 6-7 says this. It says, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. Jesus instead invites us to feed on him for life. A deeper spiritual reality at work. Feeding on him, we find out in this text, is really about placing our faith and our belief in him and trusting in him. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus proclaims himself as the permanent solution for what it is that we long for. Later on in his ministry and at the end of the Gospels, at the Last Supper, at that Passover meal, Jesus broke the bread and he distributed it to his disciples. He was foreshadowing for them that ultimately his body was going to be broken on the cross and then distributed to all people to give life to those who have faith in his name. Communion is a time of remembrance. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of delight where we remember where our life truly comes from. In celebrating communion, we remember that Jesus' body was broken so that we can be made whole. In celebrating communion, we celebrate that we have appropriated Jesus Christ as our life. In celebrating communion, we lift our minds above the physical necessities of life that can be so consuming, and we acknowledge our spiritual need. We acknowledge that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In celebrating communion, we proclaim that Christ is the only permanent solution for our search and our quest for life. There's some beautiful promises in John 6 that I want to highlight and bring to your attention. In John 6, Jesus promises that there is food that endures to eternal life. Praise God. And that he will give it to us. Jesus promises that he will give life to the world. Jesus promises that those who come to him will never hunger and will never thirst. Jesus promises that all the Father gives to him will come to him and he will never cast out. What an incredibly encouraging promise that as we come to him, we will never be cast out. Jesus promises that those who look to him and believe in him will have eternal life. And three different times in this section of scripture, Jesus assures us that he will raise us up at the last day. That we can experience resurrection with him. Jesus promises multiple times that by believing in him we'll have eternal life. And the last portion we read, he promises that if we eat this bread, we will live forever. So as we partake in communion this morning together as a church body, I want to just encourage you to be reminded of a few things. 
that we would be reminded that the physical act of communion points us to an incredibly profound spiritual reality. That as we partake, that we remember Jesus' invitation to come to him for life and not to run to other things. In partaking communion, let us heed Jesus' warning not to labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Really, we can examine our hearts tonight, or this morning asking the question, what is it that I'm looking to for life? And how can I reorient my life towards Christ? As we partake this morning, let us celebrate that he is the bread of life and that whoever comes to him will not hunger and whoever believes in him will not thirst. And lastly, as we partake this morning, let us celebrate his assurance that all who come to him will never be cast out. One of the most beautiful aspects of communion is the way in which it points backwards in the story of God and the scripture, and then it points us forward to what Jesus has done and points us even more forward into the future of what he will do in his return. In John chapter 6, just for example, as John was teaching, you know, we saw Jesus point back to the wilderness. And he says that there in the wilderness, you received bread from heaven, but you still died. And he uses that moment in the story that all of the people knew so well to then proclaim himself as the bread of life. Now imagine with me when you're at the, when Jesus was there at celebrating Passover with his disciples what we now call the Lord's Supper, and he takes the bread, that's this same bread that, you know, he's declared himself to be the bread of life, and they eat, and he says, now this is my body broken for you, and how it all comes together in this wonderful story. Uh, you know, it reminds me um, of something I kind of stumbled upon in the last couple of weeks. I was listening to this story about a guy named Raymond Scott, brand new person in history to me, uh, but I found his story just fascinating. He was a composer. He was known as a music director. He played with a band. Uh, he, he worked for CBS for many years. Maybe some people this, for this name would ring a bell. It was in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, the bulk of his career. But in the 60s, uh, he, he made something. Okay, so here's, as you follow his career through the decades, this guy is collecting little electronic parts. He's obsessed with them. And these electronic parts he's stashing away in the basement of his house or in his garage or wherever it may be. Now, I've done that before too. Like right now, if you go into my garage, there's a stack of wood that's been kind of reclaimed and it, it's been there for years. And I have some grand plan of what this is going to turn out to be one day. Anybody with me? And it's still sitting there as a stack of wood many years later. But for this guy... Raymond Scott, he collected all these parts and he even had an assistant who was helping him like build things and he wanted to build, he had this master plan of what he was going to build. And eventually it came to fruition and I don't even know if I'm saying this name right, but he built something called the Electronium. 
okay? And so here's a picture of it. This is in the 1960s, okay? It looks, looks pretty impressive just by looking at it, but here's what was so crazy about this machine. This machine would play music, but it wouldn't just play music. It actually composed music on its own. So, so 60 years ago, this man created what we're now like what's surrounded by, this AI thing. He's making a machine that makes music on its own, that composes music on its own. So all these years, he's like, you know, putting these parts together, stashing them away, and eventually he makes this machine that's pretty impressive, way ahead of his time. And I, I like to think of the Bible in some ways, like this, this is a picture I want to give you, of where uh, there's parts of the Bible that you'll read and you'll go from one section to the next, and these parts that seem somewhat random at first build into this beautiful, beautiful story. It's like playing a song. It's like composing a song, all these parts. You could call them hyperlinks in the scripture. You click back through from one hyperlink to the next, and as you do that, this story of God is unfolding and becoming just that much more rich and deep. That's why I love to study the Bible. I don't know if, if that resonates in your heart, but when I study the Bible and I find, you know, you ever, you ever follow the footnotes in your Bible and you're, and you're um, taking those references and you're going from one verse to the next and all these verses are bringing out things. So in John 6, we read about Jesus declaring himself as the bread of life, and you have these things that have happened in the past. You have these things that he's pointing towards. All these things are building up to tell this story. Let me take you back to one more story, all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 44, we get a little glimpse into the story of Joseph. I know a lot of you are familiar with his story. I'll try to, like, not just say the whole thing, but, like, let's... let's make sure we're all on the same page as we think about his story. Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and his, you know, he comes across a little arrogant, let's be honest. Like if, you know, when, when you pick up your kids from kids' ministry, uh, you know, that, that Joseph story is always remembered by the coat of many colors, and they, that's their coloring sheet for the day. Not today, but, you know, at some point you've, you've picked up kids, and that's what they've colored. And Joseph was this, had these dreams. He told his brothers about how they had bowed down to him. And his brothers, I mean, this is how dysfunctional the family is. His brothers end up uh, selling him off into slavery. Like, I was just get rid of this guy. He's taken to Egypt, and there his story just kind of goes down from there. He's serving in, the in a house of Egypt. He's falsely accused. He's put into prison. He's forgotten in prison. But then he has this meteoric rise where he interprets a dream of Pharaoh's. He tells them to prepare for drought that's about to come. And, and Joseph is promoted to second in command in all of Egypt, okay? That's the story of Joseph that, that in a very brief way. But then we get to his brothers, his reunion with his brothers. Just, feel, just for a second, kind of forget that whole story and just walk with me here through this. Joseph's brothers show up. They haven't seen him since they sold him off to some traveling guy traveling by in the wilderness. 
They show up in Egypt because there's a drought in the land. They're looking for supplies. Egypt has it. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And he wants to play some games with them. So he, um, you know, accuses them of being spies. You guys are spies. And, and he takes one of the brothers into custody, and he says, when you return, you need to bring back your youngest, the youngest brother, Benjamin, whom Joseph had, hadn't met. They, were, they, they leave. They need supplies again. They need to go back to Egypt. At the great reluctance of Joseph and the brother's father, Jacob, he allows them to go back with Benjamin. And when they return to Egypt, this time they get their supplies, they get all the things they need, they leave. But Joseph says, put in one of their bags my cup. Puts it in the bag and then he sends them off. And then he sends his men to go track them down. So they're leaving Egypt. They have no idea that this cup is in their bag. And when his men track them down, they go, hey, look, Joseph's cup is missing. The prince of Egypt, this is his cup, this cup of power. I'm sure it had lots of gold and jewels and things like that. And they said, well, you don't know what you're talking about. They, he says, open up the bags. Open up the bags. And there in Benjamin's bag is this cup. And you can imagine from there what it would have been like where the men are like, okay, you need to come with us. Now put yourself in the shoes of these brothers of Joseph. Still have no idea who their brother is, that he's the one up to all this. And you can imagine how their hearts would have just sank. This is what we swore to our father would never happen, that Benjamin would not He'd be able to, we'd, we'd bring him back home. He would not get, like nothing would happen here. And now we're under arrest. We're going back to be put in front of this prince of Egypt to be judged. And most certainly there's a chance that we die. They're in shock. They're in fear. You can tell that when, even when Joseph starts to reveal himself to them which he does next. So here's this cup that brings this, these guys back to Egypt to be judged and to possibly face death. And instead, the whole situation turns on its head like you wouldn't expect. Because Joseph uses that moment to say, I'm the long-lost brother. And he eventually tells them, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. So this cup that Joseph had been planted in their bags, and these men who needed judgment for what they had done against Joseph, when they show up to face him, the cup turns from judgment to forgiveness and redemption. How do you... How do you like how God does that in the story of Scripture? How we can see little parts of who he is and what he does all through the Scripture. You know, the, the Bible tells us that God never changes. In Malachi 3.6, he says, For I, the Lord, do not change. In Hebrews 13.8, Jesus says, I am the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. His pattern of salvation in the Old Testament is the same pattern in which God unfolds salvation in the New Testament because he does not change. And so as we read through the Bible and we see a story like Joseph and the brothers and this cup that was meant for judgment that turns into forgiveness and redemption, that is what we have as Jesus tells his disciples in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul repeats the story. We're going to walk through this together now. And I want, I want you to um, take the cup that has the bread on top. You kind of have to peel back the top layer to get to that bread. What we have in the Lord's Supper in communion is not a random piece of bread that Jesus just said, hey, let's, let's use this, why not? What we have is an incredible unfolding of who God is to us and his story in this world. That you trace it back to Genesis, even in a story like Joseph, to the Passover meal, and on to John 6, and on to what takes place at this last supper that Jesus has with his disciples. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Let's take this bread and let's eat it in remembrance of Jesus now. In verse 25, it says, in the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, that part's important. In the Passover meal, the cup after supper, was the final cup that symbolized redemption. And that is the cup in which Jesus could have chosen any of the cups, but on this final cup of Passover and this meal with his disciples that he's celebrating, that is the cup in which he takes to symbolize his death and his blood. He says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This is the cup that brings redemption through my blood, through what he will do on the cross. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup. Lord Jesus, what an awesome opportunity this morning to remember what you have done for us. That what we see throughout the Bible as a physical reality becomes a spiritual reality through your death on the cross, 
making a way for us to come into your kingdom. Jesus, this morning we remember your death and we proclaim it today and we pray that we proclaim it until you would come and we would be faithful in that. We thank you for this, for your body. We thank you for your blood. Jesus, it's you who we worship. It's you who we surrender our lives to.